welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that looks for middle ground within the wellness world and, well, life in general. My name is Jenny Omani. And I'm Annika Buckle. As always, we love so much that you listen to us. We love even more when you rate us and um, share us with uh, friends and social media friends alike. Um, It means the world to us and uh, gives us the serotonin boost to keep doing this week after week. (laughs) I love that. I love serotonin. Um. Okay, so normally I'd start by like saying like, hey, this is our topic. Like, what do you know about this topic? But that feels really weird because we're going to talk about deodorant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do. I mean, I do. I have some I have some deodorant stories, actually. So, oh, Um, tell us a deodorant story. So when I was in, I have just quite naturally, like since hitting puberty, been a sweaty person. It's just kind Mm -hmm. of who I am. And particularly um, when you're in middle school and you're really, Mm -hmm. you have very sweaty armpits, especially Mm -hmm. at a time when the fashion was like tight baby tees. Oh my God, yes. to hide. (laughs) Which we've come full circle with. So like, yes. It's not even, we don't, you don't even have to explain that to people now. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was very, very sweaty. It was really embarrassing. Um, I tried every antiperspirant under the sun. None of them worked for me. Eventually I went to my doctor um, mm-hmm. and I got a prescription strength, um, which then led to me being, having an allergic rash breakout reaction oh. to every antiperspirant ever again for the rest of my life and most deodorants still to this day I couldn't I couldn't use a antiperspirant even if I wanted to so whoa so cool (laughs) that's bananas and you know it's so interesting that you got a prescription because that's just like a great foreshadow into a lot of marketing strategy that we're going to talk about later on which is like well it's like tale as old as time how do you hyperbolize something that mm-hmm. is true or take this thing that for some people is actually true, that it right. is a medical condition and sort of put it, spread it like, a little wider than the fear mongering actually... to the larger population. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Um, so there you go. That's like a nice little, like you just, you manifested part of the episode. <laughs> You're welcome. Great work, Annika. <laughs> Uh, okay, so today we're going to talk about the deodorant and antiperspirant industry, which is actually an $18 billion industry, which I don't really think is surprising given that it's essentially a household staple for yeah. basically mm-hmm. the majority of the, I mean, my daughter hasn't even hit puberty yet and she wears deodorant because she Same. thinks otherwise. Yep. So like, Same it's, with it's, mine, especially if you have like an athletic kid, right? Like she's <laughs> out running around. That was, I, you know, I remember the very first time it was like jump rope for hard. And she's like, is it possible that I need to wear deodorant? And I was like, oh, oh. yeah, okay. Yeah, it absolutely is. Let's get that right now. <laughs> but I love that she felt comfortable asking that. Totally. Um, my daughter awesome. was the opposite. And I was like, buddy, I gotta let you know. <laughs> It's time for you to wear deodorant. I have and she was like, oh, so she, so, I mean, that can go either way. <laughs> um, okay. So before we hit up our origin story um, in the deodorant slash antiperspirant world, uh, we'll just do a little context and we'll talk about the sweat. Um, so we're going to talk primarily about body odor in the armpit area because 
it's actually a different type of sweat. Uh, the sweat glands oh, in the armpit. I did not know this. Yes. And the groin. We're not going to talk about groin sweat, but <laughs> the sweat gland. That just seems like its own thing. We don't need to go there. Uh, but sweat glands in the armpits actually produce a more like oily, heavy sweat. And this sweat contains a bunch of waste proteins, fatty acids, carbohydrates that can actually be metabolized by bacteria. And when they are metabolized by, by bacteria, uh, the compounds that are produced cause body odor. Hmm. So, and that's just more unique to armpit and groin. We're focusing on armpit versus, versus like, like my forehead sweat or like. Yeah, so you're like yeah. boob sweat. Right. <laughs> the ever popular cleavage sweat. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Or if I'm on my Peloton, like stomach sweat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did a hot yoga class yesterday, like shin sweat. Oh, like, yeah, elbow sweat. Yeah, totally. Okay. So that's how we get body odor. Why we create body odor from a anthropological perspective is up to debate but there is a belief that perhaps it was initially uh to deter prey which i mean kind of makes sense i just think of us as like little peppy Le Pews in the caveman <laughs> era like oh man that one can't go after that it's gonna stink uh, <laughs> i should find so i should find something better smelling to eat totally i also love that this is totally an area of like absolutely niche research for people and i respect that there are people that are interested enough in this that they've made it their life's work. It's my favorite when you stumble down a rabbit hole of like somebody's yeah. dissertation on such a specific niche topic and you're like, thank you for this. Like literally you've described the, <laughs> the, the how this episode has come to be. Yeah, no, it is literally the life's work of people. So um, if we go back to like ancient Greece and Egypt, uh, we do know that people used to cover themselves in fragrant waxes and perfumes to mask smell. Hmm. Um, they literally bathed in perfume, which is why the phrase bathed in perfume. <laughs> That's the origin story for the bathed, bathed in perfume. And this practice continued well into the 19th century. I remember learning... Uh, you know, when you learn random facts that are utterly useless, but you're like, I will remember this for the rest of my life. <laughs> will I remember where my child needs to be at two o'clock on Tuesday? No. Will I remember no. this random fact about perfume from ancient times? Yes. Will I remember that in the palace of Versailles, the women had those giant wigs and had pucks of like perfume wax that would melt down over the course of the night to mask their smell? Forever. I will remember that. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, that's, we just mask smell. Also, when you look at, um, like Tudor era clothing that what the wealthy, um, aristocratic, uh, and Royal sort of elite groups did is they wore multiple layers of clothing and they had like linen undergarments and linen is a great fabric for absorbing, mm. um, moisture and odor. And they would just change frequently. Right. So, so just like new outfit. Yeah new set of things that don't smell bad <laughs> yeah no exactly exactly right um and we do know up until sort of into the late victorian era that people would change several times a day like there was the correct outfit for everything this right. is in you know uh, more elite groups right right and part of that changing i'm sure had to do with the fact that like they smelled and they were sweaty and we didn't have these super breathable fabrics and whatnot right. so like it was almost a necessity if you wanted to be uh, presented in a certain way in a was that you just had to put on different clothes. high class way. Yeah. Yeah. So what I want to just highlight here is that one of the many sort of 
deodorant-related myths is that you need to detox from using traditional mm. deodorants and antiperspirants. And then after that detox period, you just won't smell. And I would just like to point out that we know that the um, ancient Grecians and Egyptians absolutely smelled. And they <laughs> definitely weren't using traditional air quotes chemical deodorants i mean they were because perfume is also made of chemicals but they right. they didn't have anything that we today would view they needed to detox from and right. they stopped right so i think we can and just kind of to what you were at saying the at the now. beginning like if it's specifically something that can be metabolized by bacteria like that's yeah. just how bodies work yeah and they have worked yes there's evolution and whatnot but mm-hmm. as far as we know we have you know created <laughs> This we haven't bacterial... evolved out of smelling bad <laughs> yeah totally or or into smelling do you know what i mean right. like especially if the thought is that we initially smelled to deter prey like we haven't been personally deterring prey for as humans for quite a while so yeah so this whole concept we don't, of, we don't you know, have a lot eating... of natural predators anymore like not anymore just each no. other really yeah. <laughs> and, and the smell not is really not gonna the... <laughs> totally so when we look at you know, we can already start to debunk a lot of things just by looking at plain basic information, mm-hmm. right? If if it was a matter of detoxing from these natural or from, you know, um, manufactured traditional deodorants, we that's not true because people have always stunk since before we had those. And we've always had this, at least as far as we know, this bacterial metabolic process. And that didn't just start all of a sudden right right? like it's just we've been like this for a long time um so we can kind of start to tease apart a lot of what we are gonna sort of the foresight of a lot of these um sort of stances uh we can just tease out with basic you know a basic look at the past (laughs) and and how we are as humans um but let's talk about deodorant so it was introduced in the late 1800s the first deodorant uh, that killed the like stinky causing bacteria was called mum, as in like M U M, very much like a British phrase, like to keep mum about something, to like keep quiet right. about something. Very yeah. clever. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on now, right? Smart. The marketing. Brits, so funny. <laughs> um, and it was trademarked in nineteen or sorry in eighteen eighty eight. Uh, it was a waxy cream. It came in a metal tin, and it used zinc oxide to fight odor. All I can think about is that Penantin diaper, yes, diaper cream. <laughs> That's just where my brain goes. And I can think, and I, then I have this vision of people applying that thick, like zinc zinky cream yeah. in their armpits. And then I, with a washing machine and stain removers and all sorts of things, like that shit ruined clothes yes. now. Yeah. I can't imagine what it did when you were like, hand washing clothes it's like it's solving a problem but creating a bevy of other problems in the process a hundred percent yeah right a hundred percent um so at the time when you know mom comes out the the solution to body odor was to wash regularly and then to just overwhelm any stink with perfume mm-hmm. uh and then for pit stains they use dress shields which were like giant mm. pads or rubber pads oh god can you imagine like rubber pads in your pit you know how uncomfortable you'd be i mean you're already uh, uncomfortable in a lot of these get-ups anyway but holy sure. hannah 
<laughs> so um we get our first deodorant in 1888 and then it's not really surprising that antiperspirant follows sort of hot on its heels because rubber pads in your armpits. <laughs> there is a need in the market for this product. <laughs> there was an absolute need to be filled. Right. Interestingly, the first antiperspirant um, didn't really take off. It was called EverDry. It launched in 1903. Um, and it just kind of we hear about it, but it just doesn't really take off, probably due to, like, marketing and, and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But um, in 1909, a physician named Dr. Abraham D. Murphy uh, develops a liquid antiperspirant to, keeps his, to keep his hands dry during surgery. His daughter, Edna, um, I guess at some point had the idea to stick that antiperspirant under her arms and found it eliminated sweat and odor. And she decides to take it off and start marking it, marketing it to women to get rid of armpit sweat pads. Go because, Edna. Yeah. Because right? she was Go like, Edna. oh, no. Oh, heck no. No, thank you. We have us uh, something better now. Poor Edna didn't have much luck for the first few years. But <laughs> hey, man, marketing. Think about your reach. In I like can't. 1909. Yeah. <laughs> you it's, can't. You, uh, you can't pay an Instagram can't. influencer to. Uh... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Totally. put a paid square on their grid <laughs> um so i'm gonna put so she has a rough go for the first little bit it does take off but i'm gonna put the name of the product in the chat and i'd like to know how you would pronounce this odorono it's so it's spelt o-d-o-r-o-n-o -O -O. it looks like odor odorono but it's odor oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh edna <laughs> oh you sassy little minx edna odor oh no odor oh no yeah odor oh no um and it does become more popular and it's actually the basis for the aluminum-based deodorants well really antiperspirants that we know today um in 1914 this is great the journal of Amer of american medical association so jama calls it fraudulent and dangerous stating oh, that aluminum Gemma. get this what do you think the main concern that jama has i mean with it, this I, my guess is something about aluminum toxicity no it's that the aluminum chloride could irritate skin skin irritation was the biggest flag how does that make it fraudulent like maybe that's going to make you uncomfortable but you know what else is uncomfortable rubber armpit pads well, I think we can tease this out in a ton of different ways. A, how many um, contributors to JAMA are women? Mm -hmm. This is a product that's being marketed to women, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. At the time, body odor with men is not considered an issue. It's considered like masculine. Right. So, like, ooh, so sexy. Yeah. Ooh, pheromones. So I think if you look at like who has a vested interest in mm -hmm. the success of this product, it's mm -hmm. not men, right? No. It's women. Yeah. There are going to be women physicians, but there are going to be very few and far between. And unlikely to be at the kind of level that you're a contributor. They're not contributing to JAMA. To Jama. Yeah. 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 No, they're not going to be on the peer review side. They're not. May, I mean, no. maybe, maybe. I don't want to. I, I don't know. I haven't edited their contributors or whatever, but. Um, it's certainly a different landscape than it is today. A hundred percent. Yeah. But I think very, that's really interesting different. because, I mean, this is a pattern that we will then continue to see for forever, right? As soon as something mm -hmm. becomes marketed especially by women to women, right? Mm -hmm. Like that tends to be a real, the patriarchy throws up a real red flag around that one because yeah, 
for well, a, for they, a million reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's also it's this this sort of like if it's not relevant to me, it's not relevant to anybody. Right. Yeah. 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 But I, well, an I, interesting like choice of words, like fraudulent, right? Like yeah. that just feels like how dare this oh, geez, upstart woman have a product and opinions about things, right? Right. Yeah. And but I think it's really important to note that like they were up in arms over potential skin irritation. Right. Okay. This was their big, like, their big thing. Right. Um. So interestingly, odor oh no, odor oh no, stop sweat <laughs> for up to three days, which is longer than modern formulations. Like most antiperspirants mm-hmm. advertise forty eight hours that I could find. Um. Uh. But its active ingredient which was aluminum chloride had to be suspended in an acid to remain effective. Speaking of skin irritation. (laughs) So, right. Can we say this might be a bit of an issue? So you're putting an acid solution in your armpits. That's not only going to be irritating for your pits. It's also going to be damaging to your clothes. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Uh, Also fun fact, odor Ono was red colored. I guess like oh. the acid, like the stable form was red, whether that was a chemical reaction or right. what, I don't know. But so you, it could stain your clothing um, while eating away at the fabric. So there's company it's like records. we're close, but we're also real far in a lot of ways when you right? look at some of those side effects. Yeah. So like there's company, like customer service equivalent records that show that um, people, women complain about burning and inflammation in their armpits and that it ruined, air, quote, many a fancy outfit, including one woman's wedding dress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And oh, no. I know. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So this is where things get interesting. And this is where it gets like nefarious, but also brilliant. So, um, Edna is doing well, but she wants to do better. And she hires a copywriter named James Webb Young. And he creates a like wildly successful ad campaign. And what he does is he makes a series of advertisements um, in like ladies um, magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, they name is Ladies Home Journal. Yeah. And this is where women are getting a lot of their information. They're not necessarily reading the papers the same way. They're reading like their own. They have like the papers um, are are for quote unquote men, right? But Ladies yes. Home Journal was huge in terms yes. of yeah. And there's also different papers like mm-hmm. uh, equivalent daily mm-hmm. prints that right. women would read, but they were separate from the newspaper, like the daily newspapers that men would read. Right. Um. So it was these ad campaigns went in these women magazines and um, newspapers. And the stance they take is that underarm sweat was an embarrassing problem mm. for women. So this is where we get that shift in like languaging and, mm-hmm. and kind of cultural assumption. Mm-hmm. So when uh, this copywriter young uh, talks about it afterwards he says several women said they would never speak to me to get speak to me again <laughs> that it was disgusting and an insult to women but the deodorant sales increased 112 percent that year so uh we can see uh the more things change the more they stay the same shame still sells <laughs> yeah and what they did more importantly is that they market deodorant antiperspirants 
as a necessity and not a luxury. Mm, right? That's how so, you broaden a reach, right? Exactly. And, mm-hmm. and it's a real shift in perception. So if we think back, the only way to fight body odor before was changing clothes regularly, these armpit pads. Um, but you needed to, like, those weren't, if you didn't have the privilege and the means to have that, you just stunk. And it was just sort of like, not stinking was a luxury. Right. And now with right. this, it's more accessible. And the verbiage leans into like, this is a necessity. Like, you cannot smell. Right. Right. Um, they also do something that's very modern day. And they point out in their ad copy that Odor Ono was developed by a doctor. Hmm. And, right? We see that all the time now. Totally. People love to throw away the title of doctor, which today especially doesn't necessarily mean medical doctor. Right. Like my friend's a pharmacist and she's technically doctor because she has a PharmD. Right. She's I, not look, a I mean, doctor. my <laughs> girlfriend is a doctor because she has a, you know, a humanities doctorate. She's yes. still technically a doctor, but Tec- absolutely. Know, and it's it doesn't take away from post secondary totally. than a lot of, right? But, but it's more that there's a lot of different. And doctor doesn't mean medical doctor. Right. And honestly, not all medical doctors are good representatives of their no. profession. Right. No. If we look Who's at that? the disinformation dozen. Yes. There are medical doctors in there that mm-hmm. still have their licenses. Mm-hmm. Who's that? And, oh my God. What's his name? Who's that wackadoo that ran mm-hmm. for the. Um... Oh, RF. No, he's not a doctor though. No. Um, about RFK. Dr. Oz. Oh yeah. Right. He's but still a practicing, but, you know, and surgeon. by all accounts, actually a really good surgeon, which is cr- right. He can be a great surgeon. <laughs> Yeah. And two still, things can be true. Right. Totally. Two things can be true. Two things yeah. can be true. Right. So, and by all accounts, if you actually, this is a sidebar that you'll probably edit out, but it, Dr. Oz, like, is a, a really skilled heart surgeon. Right. Like, his cardiac surgeon, like, he's, he's like a really good heart surgeon. It sounds like you don't want him doing politics for you, but like, if he, if he's assigned to your, like, I don't know, val- like valve replacement, probably sounds like not a bad bet. I feel like this is like a stay in your lane kind of thing. Well, I don't like to gatekeep things too much, but I also do I feel like, yeah, like maybe hey, you're a good surgeon. Just maybe do that. Come on, Oprah. Watch me <laughs> pedestalize. Totally. Like but Mr. We... Phil. Oh, <laughs> speaking of speaking of doctors. God. Yeah. So what I just find really fascinating is that this is the first account I've seen of really um, using a physician as a sales tactic, like Mm. a doctor made this. And they also tie in the presentation that um, excessive perspiration is an embarrassing medical condition. Mm. And this is the solution, which we talked about, you know, when you gave your, your personal story at the beginning, there is a condition called hyperhidrosis where there is, it's a genuinely a medical condition where you sweat to an extent that it's deemed a medical condition. Right. That's not what the average person has in their armpits. Right. And, but it, you can, it, what it does is it blurries the lines where Mm -hmm. you can kind of start going, Oh, well I, I, Oh, I have excessive sweating and I need to fix it. And you might just have like normal sweating, but once it's out there, it's hard to take it back. Right. right. So it just, and it can spread like wildfire, especially if we're looking at, you know, these time periods, uh, any sort of, um, 
debunking or correction or whatever is going to take forever to get out if it does even get out at all right yeah right the reach is just so so different things Um, barely get like effectively debunked these days where you know information can spread quickly i can't imagine there was much debunking happening in the ladies home journal (laughs) no just by the fda or or, sorry by jama over (laughs) skin irritation potential fraudulent um now having said all this uh the ad campaign works and odor oh no sales go from 65,000 oh, jump up to $65,000 that year. Of course, I've used an inflation calculator and that is 1.148550 million dollars. So 1.14 wow. million wow. for the year. So it's a successful ad campaign. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yep, once again, I'll just reiterate shame sells. <laughs> totally. Oh, and this is like the the tip of the shame iceberg just oh, wait because <laughs> after a few years sales flatten right and oh. so by 19 they sort of plateau 1919 this copywriter young um is basically under pressure to produce more or he's going to lose his contract right it's always bigger better more and more right mm-hmm. um so they do a door-to-door survey um, that an ad, they have a like advertising company do this survey door-to-door and what the survey shows is that Quote, every woman knew of Odorono and about one third used the product, but two thirds felt they had no need for it. So what he realizes is that improving his sales isn't actually about brand awareness. They already know mm-hmm. about it. Right. Um, or by making people aware that they sweat because everybody knows they sweat. And no, according to this, you know, advert, this, this survey done, all the women know about it. So this is brand awareness isn't going to help. They so know what, that it exists. Yeah. They they know that they sweat. They just don't yeah. think they need the product for their sweating. Mm-hmm. Right. So then what Young does is he decides it's now going to come down to convincing those two thirds of the women who say they don't need it. That yeah, sweating is this. Yeah. That it's a serious embarrassment. Oh God. I just feel like I am uh, like little 13 year old me is so mad at this guy. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Right. Um, so he decides to present it as like a, a social faux pas. So no one's going to tell you that you smell. But the reason you're not popular is oh because you smell. And they're talking about you behind your back about your smell. Oh, my God. <laughs> so in at some point... There's like a memoir of this like advertisement guy. And in his memoir, he s- says that women in his social circle just stop talking to him after this next ad campaign. <laughs> but that it worked. And their sales- so he doesn't have any friends, but he's very successful at his job. He likes to keep reminding, like he keeps like, <laughs> like it'll be like, yeah, everyone's mad at me. But let me tell you about the sales. <laughs> so sales go up. Um, 112%. And in 1920, the sales revenue is $417,000, which uh, corrects to $6.37 million wow. in today's money. Wow. So that's a massive leap. So Young is now, I guess we could say, uh, his his excellent job security. Okay. Uh, um, and this 
sales tactic was so wildly successful that competitors are like, oh yeah, we're going to do this too. Mm -hmm. So now you have the entire industry um, copying the strategy and essentially shaming women into buying anti-sweat products. Right. This seems bad, but just wait, like this is bad, but this is not (laughs) as bad as it's going to get. I am going to put this in the chat. So this is from 1919. And this is ad copy um, from Odor Ono. <laughs> I can't even read the first three words without dying. You're mad, aren't you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm mad. Quote, beautiful but dumb. She has never learned the first rule of long-lasting charm. End quote. <laughs> so brutal, right? And it's, of course, a picture of, like, a woman um, who's not wearing deodorant. Right. Okay, so this is ad copy from a competitor's ad from Mum in 1937. Wasn't was Mum? Mum was the original, right? Was the yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Mum was back, the original, back like in the, game. the diaper cream, right? Deodorant paste, as right. we decided right. it is. And if you thought you were mad before, <laughs> I'd like you to take a deep cleansing breath and uh, quote. You're a pretty girl, Mary, and you're smart about most things, but you're just a bit stupid about yourself. You love a good time, but you seldom have one. Every evening after evening, you sit at home alone. (laughs) You've met several grand men who seem interested at first. They took you out once, and that was that. There are so many pretty Marys in the world who never seem to sense the real reason for their aloneness. In this smart modern age, it's against the code for a girl or a man either, to carry the repellent odor of underarm perspiration on clothing and person. It's a fault which never fails to carry its own punishment. Unpopularity. I also just like, part of me is floored by how fucking long ad copy was then. Like, what was the attention span of people? Like, let, I mean, think about like, yeah, everything is just so different. Like, also, there seems to be a far higher tolerance for advertisements to just straight up call you an idiot, which oh, yeah. we've really walked away from. It's much more insidious now. But So let's just look at a little foreshadowing or um, yeah, foreshadowing for a minute here. You'll notice it says it's against the code for a girl or a man either. Mm, I did notice that. So this you is You know where... how you expand the market. Bingo. Uh Okay, so let's have a little pause and go back in time. Because right now, up until this ad copy, women have been the target demographic. Right. So like I mentioned before, at the beginning of the 20th century, like and prior to that, body odor was not considered a problem for men because it was part of being masculine. Right. It wasn't a problem until companies realized that like 50% of their market isn't using their product. Right. And there's no reason for them not to, right? It's Absolutely not. not. No. Yeah. So what, of course, how do you get men to start using a product? By shaming women more. Right. <laughs> so the mom, Odor Ono, and other competitors start adding like that, these, like the previous copy, little mm-hmm. snarky comments and but it starts getting more leaning into it as the woman's responsibility. So like women, if that man smells, you better get on it, girls. Yeah, 100%. So for example, in one uh, one ad, it said, quote, "Women, it's time to stop letting your man be smelly." 
when you buy, buy two. Right. So it's this, it's not like we can just start advertising to men. It's like, we have to make it like that you were a bad wife. Right. Well, and I can't believe you've been dealing with your sweat, but you haven't dealt with your husband's like what a horrible wife you are. Totally. And I mean, you think about who's in, you know, when we look at kind of quote unquote traditional family structures in these days, who's doing Mm -hmm. the purchasing, who's right. Exactly. Yeah. Who's caring for the home finger quotes, Mm -hmm. caring for the home. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't worry. They do get like really dicky towards men at one point. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) It's called equality. (laughs) Yeah. Ish. So um, in the 1930s during the depression, men were really worried about losing their jobs, right? Unemployment Mm -hmm. is through rates are really high. So they start advertising and focus on the embarrassment of being stinky and how unprofessional it is to smell. And that means that you're not grooming properly, which means that it could impact your career. You're going to lose your job because you smell because you're not using our deodorant. Right. During the depression. (sighs) It's like, that's so gross. It's so... Well, I mean, so icky. I'm assuming that sales were not great during right. the period Well, because what's time. a priority? Do you want to feed <laughs> yeah. yourself or do you want to yeah. buy something that is like a skincare luxury? For sure. So you just need to up your ante. Shame game. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but basically from there on out, that's when deodorant and antiperspirant becomes part of like the daily um, I don't know, grooming routine for men and women is once everybody just feels equally shameful <laughs> about their body odor in sort of the 1930s ish. Uh, in the 1960s, we're going to wrap up the history of deodorant and antiperspirant here because now we're going to s- transition into where we start having some concern mm. and Fear. So in the 1960s, the first aerosol antiperspirant comes out. It's actually by Gillette. Right ah. guard. Gillette right guard. Uh-huh. Aerosol. So aerosols became really popular because um, you didn't have to come in contact with your underarms. You could just spray it. The convenience was really there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the formulation was smaller particles. So it wasn't like staining clothing and whatnot mm-hmm. the same way. Mm-hmm. So by the late 1960s, half of all antiperspirants um now we've sort of switched to antiperspirants that have deodorants within them, right? It's a one, right. one product. Um, and they're, so half of all antiperspirants slash deodorants are aerosols by the late 1960s. And here's where things start to shift a little bit. So in 1977, the FDA banned um, the active ingredient that was used in the aerosols. So aluminum zirconium chemicals were banned due to safety concerns over long-term inhalation. Uh-huh, right. And I really emphasize that because we see this so much now where people say, mm-hmm. well, XYZ is toxic. And it's like, yeah, if you eat it. Right. But if you're putting it in very dilute amounts in your skin, it's absolutely not toxic. And we seem to really have lost the ability to discern, mm-hmm. like, that modality is important and the dose makes the poison yeah and how that's being delivered so like i think we would all agree that inhaling water could kill you (laughs) it's called drowning right right? but if you drink water you actually have to to live it's a necessity Right. right and we seem to have really lost this 
um, sort of ability to discern that. So what's really important, like bold font underline is that it, the concerns are regarding inhalation because most people are spraying aerosols in like a small bathroom. Right. I genuinely don't know what bathroom fans were in the 1970s. Like, I mean, I don't even think we had one in any of our bathrooms until we, until totally. And like, so. maybe you do, but like whatever yeah. the, the issue Vent- was not... building ventilation. Isn't what it is today regardless. Right. So for sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I don't know. I still spray aerosols outside because like if I use hairspray <laughs> or dry shampoo, I'm like, <laughs> Right. Like I still like just stick my head out of my sliding back door and like do my dry shampoo. I still, I still avoid aerosols where possible for that exact reason. I'm like, Oh, it just always is like, (coughs) you know, yeah. Cause it has to be a tiny particle and whatever. So this is where we first sort of see like, Hey, we have some safety concerns over inhalation Mm -hmm. of these tiny little products because the, like the, the, the chemicals have to be super, super small to be aerosolized. Right. right? Otherwise they, they won't, it doesn't work. Um, then secondly, the U S environmental protection agency limits the use of fluoro chlorofluorocarbon, um, which is a propellant used in aerosols. The issue with it is that there's awareness that the gases from this chlorofluorocarbon can contribute to depleting the ozone layer. Ah, right. This was a big, a big push, right? We, yeah. we started to recognize, I was going to say when you said fluorocarbon or whatever i'm like yeah, i know that fluorocarbon why do i, I, I know that why do i know that I know but that. it yeah. i remember this is the hole in the ozone layer days totally yeah totally so it gets banned nope this has nothing to do with personal safety it has to do with um you know recognition of the environment and environment imagine concern. being able to pass laws that protected the environment what what those were the days hey <laughs> So these two things in combination is what really switches the antiperspirants and deodorants into sticks is because mm. they're like, okay, you know, this is uh, too hard. We, we know still better need now. to create a product. Like, yeah. And yeah. we know better. We know that, I mean, I don't think the manufacturers knew better, but the government agencies were like, nope, this is not cool. We're not using like the, you know, these things can't be aerosolized. And so they just switched the formulation to sticks. Um, it is important just to highlight, because I do feel like a lot of people don't know the difference. I feel like our listener demographic probably does, but there is a difference between deodorants and antiperspirants, mm-hmm. at, which is like sweat versus smell. So deodorants mask body odors um, by targeting that bacteria that, you know, produces odor as it breaks down, you know, all the, the waste products in your sweat. Um, and uh, antiperspirants predominantly work uh they're aluminum based and what the aluminum does is it forms a plug at the surface of the sweat duct and it just blocks the sweat from coming out so they're two different things they're two different Mm -hmm. chemical processes they're they're two very different things but a lot of modern deodorants have antiperspirant they're deodorant and antiperspirant well and for a while and i can tell you from my own personal experience in 1996 it was actually very hard to find a deodorant that wasn't also an antiperspirant there were like maybe maybe two on the shelf one of them was like the crystal and the other was like toms and that i had to pick one of those or nothing and obviously i needed to do something but something yeah because you were like i don't want to smell right and, and, and I literally cannot use any antiperspirants yeah. anymore. Yeah. So I, they're, 
for for somebody like me, it is nice to see that we've come to a place where you have a lot of choice in the marketplace. Capitalism isn't capitalism is doing its thing here, and I'm not mad about it. <laughs> totally. And what ends up happening in the early 2000s is where you start getting this um, antiperspirant causing breast cancer. Mm-hmm. fear mongering. Right. So what actually happened is that researchers start looking into whether the aluminum in the antiperspirants is linked to breast cancer because, but it's one of those graphs where it's like most people with breast cancer are using deodorant antiperspirant because most, because people, that's all that's on the market, <laughs> but also most people are using deodorants yeah. and antiperspirants at yeah. this point in time. It's correlation so, versus causation, right? Like, totally. Yeah. But they look into it. They're like, okay, let's, cause a lot of breast cancer isn't necessarily like there's breast tissue in armpits. And I think that people forget that like your breast tissue extends up into your armpits. That's mm-hmm. why when you do a self breast exam, you, you do your armpits as well. Right. And so the, the researchers and the, you know, cancer communities, like, well, we know that we're literally smearing this thing in an area where we do see a lot of breast cancers. We should make sure there's no. Link. Right. Which feels, I mean, like responsible science. Absolutely. Science. You're also getting higher rates of breast cancer, but you're also getting higher rates of detection. You're detecting right. things earlier. You're, we're living longer. It's, we're living I mean, longer. We've touched on this yes. before, but yes. the, the cancer correlation tends to be sticky a little bit, I think, because there are just so many factors. I think it's really hard to draw a line from A directly to B, with a few exceptions, I think, that we figured yeah. out. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's it, so the, the point is, the thing that people seem to bypass is that there's literally a community out there of academics going let's see if we can find some links like they want Mm -hmm. people to not have cancer right (laughs) and so they look into everything right but the problem is once people pick up that something's being looked into right extrapolate it to this causes that this must be a problem otherwise why would they be looking at it it's like no they're looking at it to make sure there isn't a problem this is just for sure good science (laughs) yeah that's just yeah that's a good process right so early studies um offer no scientific evidence or proof of any correlation like there's they're like yeah we're looking into this we don't find anything but if you think about how scientists phrase and academics phrase mm. things they mm-hmm. th- say things like low likelihood they're not going right. to say it's zero chance because because they can't say that would be also if you're going to say something categorically does not do this you need to prove that it doesn't do that which means you need to that's a very different process than saying hey we've really looked into it and we're not seeing anything convincing right so you see wording and you hear wording that's mm-hmm. like we're not convinced that there is low likelihood. We don't see evidence. Insufficient for. evidence. Right. But right. what people want to hear is this does not cause that. Right. But that's a very finite can't... statement. Right. Right. And right. I think Science what... communication. This is where it breaks down a lot of the yes. time. Right. Because what yeah. people want versus what science is able to say, there's mm-hmm. always going to be a gap there. The other thing is, is that if you make a finite statement, then you've closed the door to in- any further investigations. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to do that in the scientific right. community. They right. always want to leave That's the door the whole open point. for a change. That's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. But I can absolutely appreciate how to the ears right. of people who have no understanding of scientific method or um, consensus, they want, we like to hear absolutes. 
and you're not going to hear that. Therefore, you go, oh, they're not telling us something. There's more to this. This is exactly what we saw around COVID and vaccines, yes. right? 100%. People want like very finite statements in science. That's not how science works. That's so not how it works. It becomes a breeding ground for misinformation and distrust mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things that come along with it. Mm -hmm. So this is super interesting. So the origin of the deodorant causes breast cancer or the antiperspirants cause breast cancer myth can be traced back to a spam email. Oh, shut that was up. Sent in 1999. Uh, the, original, the, the original misinformation social media post. But do you remember those spam yep, chain emails? I totally do. So it looks like that is where this whole shitstorm starts is a spam fucking email. Wow. I cannot even. I'm not even surprised. I don't know why I'm surprised because <laughs> it's, it's a shocking but Instagram it's not post surprising now, right? but in 1999, right? <laughs> so, we know that antiperspirants block the purging of sweat or toxins if you will. Um and so what the theory is is that because it's blocking sweat it's blocking toxins, which then build up in the body and cause breast cancer. Because they don't have a way to get out. Yes. Right. Right. So that's the main stake to this claim about the correlation between antiperspirants and breast cancer. I mean, sweat glands don't have this, this function, like to claim, like it doesn't, they, that's just not how sweat glands work. Right. Um, most of this, most of what you're sweating out, it, it's like 99% water right. with a little bit of salt and a small amount of like lactic acid, which um, is processed by your liver, PS. Um, a little bit of urea, also excreted by your kidneys. So all of these other, it's mainly water and the other things in it can actually be broken down by other parts of your body. Of your body anyway, right. So there, there's no like retention. Like it just, it just chooses a different pathway to get out. Exactly. Right. 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 It's just. It's just like, oh, can't go out here. Off to the liver I go, right? <laughs> right. Off the kidneys, out I go this way. Like, it's not, if your body works properly. Right. Like, Well, and again, to your point, <laughs> if it's mostly water anyway, right? It's like. It's water. Know, so yeah. maybe, like, are we worried about hydration then? Right. Like, is that what I you're do, worried about? I, I, do, I do drink a lot of water. <laughs> Me too. It's very important. <laughs> it just kind of like, it loses its footing when you just look at it from a basic physiology perspective. Like, mm -hmm. that's just not it's not retaining these toxins. It, they just, the, these sort of byproducts just go to different organs to get excreted there. That is like the main basis for why that's not true is because it's just not how bodies work. The reason researchers looked into it is that you get breast cancer in the breast tissue in the armpits. We know we're spreading this stuff on armpits every day for most of the population. We should just make sure that this, this doesn't is... have anything to do with it. Right, And they very quickly and easily determine it doesn't and like basic understanding of physiology backs that up right um so it, it, it might be that people are confused between sweat glands and lymph nodes because mm. there are lymph nodes in the armpits because there's crossover there too yeah 100 percent. and like your lymph nodes are part of your immune system it helps filter stuff out um but you don't block your lymph nodes with deodorant or antiperspirant right so, Just because you're blocking your sweat glands doesn't mean you're blocking your lymph nodes because they're two different things. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're they're two different things. So it just kind of boils down to a lack of um, 
a human understanding of human physiology, which is also fine because I think people forget that like we as end users do not have to have robust understanding of everything. Well, and, and honestly, that's okay. us- usually we don't. And that's fine. And, and that's and like how many people really understand how their car works when they drive it? Like not as many as are driving mm. cars, right? And we just manage to go about continuing to drive our cars and it's fine, right? Yeah. So I think this is so this is kind of like long story short, this is how we got to the place where we cared about body odor and armpit sweat. And then it literally all goes, gets derailed by like a, a spam email, potentially chain <laughs> a chain letter. And at the most basis, like this is one of the things where like the can all these cancer institutes have to put out statements that are like, there's no scientific evidence that like using deodorant or antiperspirant causes breast cancer. Like we keep looking and now you end up with this thing where we waste so much research money. Because it's like, well, shit, we keep, now we, we have to like, we really, better keep really looking keep at this to make people we better believe. do it more granular. We better make a bigger sample size. We better, you know, right. And now there's tons of products now that are aluminum free, just because the marketing now to get people to buy it is Re- like, you require it, right? We don't, well, I mean, it's like thimerosal in vaccines. Mm-hmm. They're like, right. okay, fine. We won't use it. Fine, fine. We'll take it out. We'll figure something we'll, else we'll out. Make the, we'll make it the wasn't product, a problem, but we'll, we'll take it out anyway. More expensive by not using this thing that wasn't a problem, but then we can tell you it's not in it. Right. Like, right. So, I mean, that is the story of deodorant and why people are afraid of it. And it just seems so, it lands so flat when you read, like, you're like, oh, that's it totally because it it feels like there's so much more to it and i don't know some of that is like you know kind of the age that we were at around kind of the late 90s early 2000s but mm-hmm. um or i mean for me personally my own personal experience i'm like why am i allergic to this and not this other thing that's weird i don't like that but i like everything else like if you don't like to use antiperspirant you don't, don't have use to use antiperspirant. antiperspirant like that's fine like that's okay <laughs> There's nothing wrong with any of that. If you want to, if you genuinely don't think there's a point to deodorant and there really isn't like, we don't need it. It's a preference. It's a societal thing. Like, yeah, I don't, I personally don't like to have a body odor smell. There are people who are not wrong by saying that's stupid. Like, right. I don't care about this. I have other things to care about. (laughs) That's fine too. Who don't shave their armpits. And they're like, nope, that's like a beauty standard. I don't subscribe to. Okay. Good for you. That's fine, right? Yeah. But it's really remarkable how we can take something that's not true and doesn't even make sense when you break it down. When you actually look at it at a granular level. And yet it persists and mm-hmm. persists. Like mm-hmm. this thing, if this email, so all likelihood it comes from this spam email in 1999, it's 2023. Right. <laughs> The only thing that we are back to again is baby tees. We do not need to hold on to this misinformation. Thanks so much for listening to Nile. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.